Our next reading of Scripture is going to come from the book of Acts. From Acts chapter 2, we'll be reading Acts 2, 1 through 21 of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together one place, and suddenly from heaven there came the sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested upon each of them. And all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. At the sound of, at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one of them heard speaking in the native tongue of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, all here in Asia, Tigeria and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, and in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing among the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and on your sons and your daughters they shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, smoky mist. And the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today, as you can see from the red all over, from the song we just heard, from all these things, today is Pentecost Sunday. This is a, 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 so, such an important day in the life of the church. You've seen our kids uh, with headbands with a little fire on them. Next year, I'm getting that for all of y'all. Next, next year, everybody on Pentecost Sunday, you're wearing headbands with fire on it. That's what we're doing next year. It's, 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 it's the day that is the birth of the church. This is the day when the movement of the church really formally started. But actually, Pentecost is a really interesting. It's even more interesting than that if you look at what Pentecost is. Pentecost, you may or may not know, is actually a Jewish holiday. It, is, it was one of the pilgrim holidays where, where the, the, in Jesus' day, the Jews were commanded, if they were able, to go to Jerusalem. It was a day when every able-bodied Jewish individual in the Holy Land, if they were able, were commanded to travel to Jerusalem. That's why there were so many folks from all over the world there in Jerusalem on this day. This was an incredibly important day in the life of the Jewish, in the Jewish faith to come to Jerusalem to worship. Because what they were celebrating on Pentecost, sometimes called Sukkot, and then sometimes called the Festival of Booths, this was a day where the Jewish people remembered the giving of the law, the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. And what's really interesting in the Jewish tradition, very interesting, Pentecost is deeply connected to Passover. Let's go back and look at our Old Testament. If you go back in the Old Testament, Passover was the day 
when the Jews, the, the, the Jews remembered when the angel of death came. And so they were to have killed a lamb and took the blood of the lamb and put the blood of the perfect lamb upon the doorpost of the home. And when the angel of death came, the angel would pass over. Passover commemorated the blood of the lamb and the death passing over and the freedom that they had to escape from Egypt. That's Passover. Well, that's connected 50 days later to Pentecost. Well, on Pentecost, they remembered the giving of the law which showed the people how to live. So isn't it interesting? In Jewish history, the connection between Pentecost, the giving of the law, is with Passover, when the blood of the Lamb freed the people and they escaped from Egypt. Well, let's connect this to the church. Does anybody remember what meal they were eating in the upper room when the Lord gave the Last Supper? They were eating the Passover meal. So for us as Christians, Passover is connected to Easter because that's what the Jesus and the disciples were doing in Jerusalem for Good Friday. And then for Easter, they were celebrating the Passover. So in the Jewish tradition, Passover is when freedom came. Pentecost is when the law or the path of life was given. In the Christian tradition, they were celebrating Passover at Easter when Easter happened, and freedom was given, and forgiveness was given, that is then connected 50 days later to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given. And just as Pentecost in the Jewish religion was given to show the path of life, so was Pentecost for us when the Spirit is given so that we know the path of life. Isn't that a beautiful connection between Pentecost and Passover in the Jewish tradition? And how it mirrors Pentecost and Easter for us as Christians. Another interesting thing about Pentecost, the Bible in many ways is the story of how God redeems and restores what sin has taken. The entire Bible is about God's redemptive power and about God's restoration power. How God throughout all of scripture is restoring and redeeming what sin has taken. So let's go back to the Old Testament. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember what happened there? The Tower of Babel, though all the world was one, one language, one group. They entered into Babel, and because of their pride and their selfishness and their sin, the one became many. The one people became many based off of human sin and human pride. What happened on Pentecost? The many came together and they left as one. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. In many ways, Pentecost is an undoing of what happened at Babel. Because of sin, the one were divided into many, but because of the Holy Spirit, the many are united as one. Do you see how our sin divides? Babel? but how the Spirit unites Pentecost. All of Scripture is showing how God is restoring what sin has taken, how God is restoring what sin has corrupted, how God is bringing life where death had existed. All the Bible is a story of God's restoration and of God's love for us.
So we see Pentecost. Pentecost is the day when the church is born. Huge deal. We don't have to make a big enough deal at Pentecost Sunday in the church. It's the birthday of the church, the day the church was created. And so we see Peter here. By the way, this is two weeks in a row we talk about somebody who was praying so hard folks thought they were drunk. Remember last week with Hannah? And when, when Samuel was born, Eli, she was praying so hard, Eli thought she was drunk. Here on Pentecost Sunday, they out there preaching so hard, folks thought they were drunk. I don't, I don't know what that's telling us as the church, but I guess it's got to be telling us something. I don't know. We need to ponder that one maybe. But Peter gives this, gives this, 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 this story here, this, this message from Joel. And it's so interesting. If we were to have, to have continued reading all the way through this chapter, what we see is that this starts off with Peter kind of um, giving uh, big picture theoretical stuff. The prophet Joel says this, the sky will turn to red, the blood, the stuff, the sons, the daughters, the prophesying, all this big picture 30,000 foot view of, of what God's going to do. That's where it starts off on Pentecost Sunday. Kind of big picture. All the overarching things God's going to do. But if you were to keep reading, you would have said that his next thing is he talks specifically about Jesus. And how all who call upon his name will be saved. But then Pentecost ends with thousands being added to the number of the church. It starts off in the clouds. The big picture prophecies of what God's going to do in. But then it, adds, then it ends with the tangible, specific things that God is doing in the church in that moment. Pentecost, yes, it is completely big picture about how God creates the church, how God's doing all these awesome things. But Pentecost, because, see, our faith is like that. Our faith starts off in the clouds. But it's, it's hard to live out. One of my favorite quotes about C.S. Lewis, where he says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a fine idea till they have something to forgive. You know, we're all in favor of loving our enemies till we have an actual enemy that we have to love. And I don't want to do that because they're my enemies and I don't like them. If they weren't my enemies, they'd be my friends. But they're not my friends, they're my enemies, so I don't like them. But yet Jesus has got to go say, you got to love them. I don't want to. I don't like them. He doesn't care. I still got to love them. Our faith gets really hard when we go from the theoretical in the clouds thing, because it's easy to talk about love and forgiveness and all that stuff. We don't have to actually do it. Doing it's hard. Believing it is not hard. Doing it is. The journey of faith is always going from the theoretical up here in the clouds to the practical, living it out every day. And that's what we have found if we would have kept reading all of this passage here in Acts 2. It's when the church goes from an idea to a concept. I mean, from an idea and a concept to an actual practical thing. So here we are. We find ourselves as a church here at St. Matthew's. Find our church here at St. Matthew's in this year. And last week we talked. We told you these, last, these two Sundays we were going to talk about the capital campaign, the building, and where we find ourselves. And last week we talked about, we talked about um, the, uh, the big picture, how we want to be guided by a vision, how we want to be guided by living out the gospel in our community. We talked about big picture stuff. But this week I want to kind of give you kind of a more 100-foot view of what we might be looking at. And once again, I would invite you to uh, visit our website, 
and click on the link that says Capital Campaign to learn specifically more about this looks like. But, but kind of kind of hitting the broad strokes here, our church has been given the opportunity to purchase the land directly to our south, the six acres directly to our south, and the church building that exists in that property. We have been presented with this opportunity, and we've kind of come to a place where we feel like this is a, a good option. You heard us, talk about, heard us talk about on the 28th of June, that's when our church will actually vote about whether or not we should do this. And so if you remember the capital campaign, we were a year ago pre-COVID, we were talking about expanding kind of this way. Well, now where we are is we have the opportunity to use, to purchase that property and purchase that building and then, and then figure out some creative ways with help from our architect on how do we physically connect these two buildings. In fact, if you go, I've been telling you go to the website and look at the plans there. We've actually got another plan since then. will more tangibly and physically connect this existing building to that building to our south. We, we, the plan is to take our offices and turn that into older adult space. And then you connect b between this space and that space with church offices, with, with, with more some more classrooms, some things like that to better tie these two buildings into one building together. Because right now, we're in a place right now where Y'all, God's been good to us. Like for classroom space, I'm now teaching, Holly and I are teaching a Sunday morning Sunday school class. We got to meet in the sanctuary. We don't have anywhere else to put them. Let's be honest, y'all. For how many years, for those of you who have been here, for how many years have we said, man, we got to kind of get our youth group straight. We kind of got to get that right and going like we want it to go. You, you can nod your head, yes. We've all been there and had that conversation. Right now, we were averaging 40 youth on Wednesday nights during the pandemic these last few months. What would happen if we really, truly gave our student ministry the fuel they need to actually connect to our students in our community? What would happen? Intersection is our, was growing before COVID, growing after COVID. What would happen if we actually, truly invested in a contemporary service to reach our community? What would happen if we actually were to allow our church to have the resources that we actually need to meet the needs of our community? God has given us the opportunity to purchase this land, to purchase this building, and to creatively figure out ways to physically connect it to each other, to be one church united in one facility. Now we're still praying what this looks like. We don't have everything figured out. Our building team doesn't. Not a single shovel of dirt has been dug yet. We do not know where the toilets are going, and we do not know what color the carpet is yet. We have no idea. These are the specific things that we have not figured out. But we do feel like in many ways that God is giving us a big picture idea of what we can do and what we can be together in this place. So I would truly love, truly love to talk to you more about this, to answer your questions, to help you understand what we're looking at. And there are still, we're going to have some, some more detailed plans to come out before our architects are working to get us some, some much more detailed plans before the 28th. We think in the middle of the month we should have something much more fleshed out of what it will look like to better physically connect these buildings. But we're excited about what we can do here. We think God has given us an opportunity. But the thing I'm going to keep coming back to, y'all, is this. 
These things are never completely about a building. They're always about living out a vision together. What is our vision? What are we about? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? You heard me say last week, I'm not a believer in the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come thing. Because that doesn't work. There's a lot of places built that are empty. You can't, be, you can't, you can't put your hopes and your expectations of a church growth upon buildings. You put your expectations and your hope and your growth upon Jesus. It's never about a building. It's always about Jesus. It's always about us living out faithfully the vision that Jesus Christ has called us to in this time and in this place. That's what it's about. It's about us refining and connecting better with the vision that God has given us in this time, in this place, and in this moment. As as I thought about that, there's a few words that keep coming back to my mind about the specific things that we should be about as a church family. I I, kind of have three words that always keep coming back to me. Invite, go, and grow. Invite means this. And so how do we use our buildings, what we have now, what we hope to have? How do we use it to live out this notion of inviting, going, and growing? What does it mean to invite? To invite means to invite folks to worship with us. One of my favorite stats I've shared with you before it's from the Hinton, Hinton Rural Life Center in North Carolina. The average United Methodist invites one person to church every 38 years. Let's say that again. The average United Methodist invites one person to church every 38 years. We have to be a people who are intentional about inviting others to worship with us. Inviting people to church. Inviting people to be with us. But it isn't just about inviting Because inviting is one thing, but the greater thing is about the community that forms. We should be a people of community and about of relationships. It isn't just about being here on Sundays. It's about being part of relationships. It's about finding a community to be a part of here at our church. Because here's the thing, y'all. I promise you this. And COVID has taught me this. If your only connection to our church... Is Sunday morning worship? In time, you will leave this church. Because we're going to get it wrong. We're going to say things wrong. We're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things wrong. I'm going to fail at some point daily. If you have a community that you're plugged into... You roll with the punches. Because your tie to this place is more than just the emotional rush of Sunday. But it's the relationships that bind you here. We are people made for relationships. When when I say we need to be inviting, it doesn't just mean inviting to come to worship to Sunday. But it's about finding community. Whether that be a community of a Sunday school or a small group or an area of service or an area of worship, but finding your people, finding your people who you walk with together in this. We should be people of relationships. We should be forming relationships here at church. We should be forming relationships at the ball field. We should be forming relationships at Starbucks. We should be forming relationships wherever we are. We should be people of the incarnation who form relationships because it's through relationships that we are saved. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. We are saved through a relationship. We are saved through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means we should live out that relationship with others. We are a people of relationships. Our souls cry out for it. We can't do the Christian thing alone. We can't do this alone. We are not made to do it alone. We need each other. Invite. Find relationships. So how do our buildings help us do that? That's the question. How do our buildings help us go? We're a people of missions. We should be a people that are involved in foreign missions like we are in Honduras. We should be a people of missions locally with MADCAP and other organizations. Jason's got a, a mission camp the students are going to do this summer where they're going to be serving across the area. We should be a people who seek to daily live out the gospel in service to others. Our buildings should not be a place that we try to bring people just into, but our building should be a launching pad for us to go into the world. Our building should be a launching pad for us to go into the world, living out the good news. Invite, go, and grow. Grow means to deepen your faith, to grow deeper with Jesus through worship, through Sunday school, through discipleship, through scripture, through prayer, through these things. If our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep, when the rain comes down and the storm rages, the house will fall. But on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We need to grow deeper in our love of Christ and our commitment to him. So yes, we do have some specific plans for buildings. Things to better equip our student ministry and our children's ministry in intersection, in small groups, in Sunday school. Things that I'm excited about and things that I think could be a great benefit to us and to our greater community. But you're going to hear me beat, beat this drum. It's never just about a building, but it's about us living out the good news of Jesus Christ in our community. It's about the Holy Spirit empowering us to live out the good news of Jesus Christ in our community. And if we are not living out the good news of Jesus Christ in our community, then what are we here for? We're the church. We're the glorious body of Christ going for, forward through all the ages. Bringing the good news of salvation to a world in need of hearing it. We have a world that is tired and exhausted and that is broken and that is frail and that is in need of redemption. And God has placed us here for such a time as this. So yes, there are important things for us to consider. But the greatest thing that we need to be considering of is this. 
is are we being faithful to the vision that God has laid in front of us? That's the only question that matters. Are we being faithful to what God has called us to do? And that needs to be predominant in our mind at all times. How are we being faithful to what God's called us to do? I think of that great quote by Lincoln. Let us not so much pray to have God upon our side, but let us pray to make sure that we are on God's side. How are we faithfully living out the vision that God has called us to? Friends, that is what matters. May we prayerfully discern all that God has in store for our church today and in the days to come. On this Pentecost Sunday, may his spirit fall once more and may his spirit lead us forward in all things. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for the gift of your life. Thank you for the gift of your salvation. We love you so much. You are so good to us, Father. Let us faithfully live out all that you've called us to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.